0: Today's portion is A one which means, say, it's in Leviticus, it runs in Leviticus 21.1 towards the end of 24, Leviticus 24. Um, Leviticus 21 has the rules of purity for the priests in Aaron's family. And note, they're strict. Leviticus 22 has the rules of purity for everybody else, so to speak, others in the Aaron's family, those that are not peace, uh, the priest, the rules of purity for those who are giving an offering um, from among the Israelites. And as, as as important as and as strict as our regulations in the two chapters, one of the things that really struck me was that in these two chapters, six times, not two times but three, six times, three times twice. It says that the priests and those who serve have to be pure because they offer lechem the fruit of the God. Lechem, we know it's bread, of course. Um, and poetically in scripture, bread means food. We, we, every day, if you say the birchem to e or whatever, we always say, who gives bread to all flesh? But we know all flesh don't eat bread, right? My cats don't eat bread, except when I steal lions and snakes don't eat bread, right? But we use bread to eat the food. Um, but we also know God doesn't eat food. In fact, the things that are brought to the altar, if you look at the chapters before this, today's portion and today's portion, the things that are brought to the altar, the blood is for atonement. certain things are burned in smoke, and all the other things, there's two whole chapters, 21 and 22, that explains what you do with the food, because God doesn't eat it. Not the bread of the the bread of the face or the bread, not the meat that's on the altar. He doesn't eat that stuff. The pre- that's why we have two chapters of which of the priests, what can Aaron eat, what can his family eat, what, when you bring an offering, what can you eat? Because we don't need to feed our God. He feeds us truly. Yes. Um, the pagans, of course, and even to today I believe they had to feed their God. Have you anybody ever been in Hawaii during when volcano when Kilalaya life? you know they feed Pele, the goddess of volcano. I've been, I've been hiking on the big island and volcano times in you know. Every place I stopped, I kept seeing raw meat and slow gin. <laughs> They're feeding the goddess. So that seems to be her need. However, God isn't eating the food that we put on the altar. So what is He eating? It says six times, your priests offer lechem al-echem. You, you are, They offer what God feeds on. So what is it that he needs? Blank faces. Worship. Worship. Go back and listen to the sermons that Rabbi Haim has spoken on prayer, or that Michael or David has spoken on prayer. One of the things that struck me the most, many times over I have heard Rabbi Haim say, we're immature if we only pray when we need something. We're supposed to pray because God needs something. He needs the worship. He needs the prayer. Or, as King David says poetically, excuse me, we're not not called the fruit of our lips. That's his food. So, yes, the the priests are sacred and separate because they offer the food of God, but not those things that were on the fire. Um, uh, Chapter 22, I'm going to read you uh, parts of that. The end of 22, the beginning of 23. Chapter 22 is another one of those ones where, in a sentence and a half, it says, I am the Lord, I am Hashem, I am three times. And if I pick the last words of the line before that, it says it four times. Um, so, and, and that's the reason, that's the introduction to keeping the feasts. Not because we're different over Israel or whatever, because I am the Lord who took you out of Egypt, I want a relation with you, I want you to remember what you did. So we keep. So then it's the instructions of the feast. In Leviticus 23 are the feasts laid out. Which one is the first and greatest of the feasts?
1: Shabbat. Ken,
0: Ken Adonai. Ken Adonai. It's Shabbat.
1: They don't start Pesach. The discussion doesn't start Pesach until line
0: 5. Shabbat's first. So today is the highest of the feast days of Israel, so we're having a holiday day. Um, and then in chapter 24, chapter 24, begins with the instructions for the oil in the whole place, uh, the instructions for the show bread, which says that there's also frankincense next to it, or with it, or on it, or something on the tables. I don't know how that was done. It's not a lot of detail, I and mean, you can read those words wrong. Thinking the frankincense is spread on the bread It's not. It probably would taste horrible. Wait, does anybody here? It smells good. Anybody here who has prepared a dead body with me knows what we do with the frankincense. We, we, we do put it on the taqihim and the shroud and the body. We don't eat it. It smells great. It tastes horrible. It's bitter. Just like the other thing that goes with it, myrrh. Myrrh smells wonderful, but you spill it in your hands, you're going to taste it in your mouth in about a half a minute, and it's horrible. So no, they put put on the bread. It's not good the bread. Um, but it smells good with myrrh. Um, and then the Torah portion ends with two very difficult scriptures, and the tidbits today discuss them in more detail than I will. Um, one of them in chapter 24, starting in 10, it says it was a fight between an Israelite and a man whose mother was an Israelite and the father was an Egyptian. It says that he blasphemed God's name. It's very specific about that. It does not say that the fight was about. And of course, the rabbis, when God leaves something out, the rabbis have to put it in. So we got not just one, we got two stories about what the fight is. Scripture says nothing, so it's not critical. One of them connects it to the verses above, about the bread. Supposedly they got it. I don't think this one's right. There was a fight between this person and, and other Israelites about all the... The priests and the priests of Egypt and the priests of Pharaoh's God get to eat warm fresh butter every day. But your priests get to eat six seven days later when it's all his really stale. Our god the, the, the Egyptians' gods are better than this god, and supposedly it was easy for him to blaspheme God. I don't think that's what it was. Doesn't matter. The, uh, the other one was uh, modern rabbinism used this one, It that uh, the, the man was a Jew, of course, because man was a Jew. Um, but he didn't have an inheritance, because his father wasn't a Jew, and inheritance is in your tribe, so he doesn't come from the tribe of Dan his mother does. And supposedly, he wanted an inheritance in the tribe of Dan, and the Danites refused to give it to him, and he either fought with them, or he went to Moses, and Moses sided with the Danites, and they fought with him. And that was the reason he blasphemed. Scripture does not say either. The issue is not what made you mad. Even if you got angry or something went wrong, the issue is: What's your relationship with God? Do you throw His name around when you're mad? Excuse me. Doesn't matter what makes you mad. So Scripture doesn't say anything. Um, The the, the last, but we do know, is that this man was put uh, in detention, and they went to God to ask, "What of we do with him regarding his blasphemy?" And and he was killed. God said that he was to be uh, killed, and he was stoned to death. Following at the end, we have. Another difficult portion, uh, chapter 24, the last lines, 17 to 23, which is the instructions that we, that of course all the Christians behold against the Jews, about eye for eye, tooth for tooth, your God is vicious, etc. The rabbis have insisted for a long, long time that uh, they never implemented capital punishment for capital crime, it was monetary. For, for example, if you crush someone's hand and they make their living playing the piano, well, then you've got to make their living for them. You've got to support them and their family because they can. That's how the rabbis interpret it. Scripture says what it says. What we do know is that in is, is dead. we don't have any evidence of capital punishment for that kind of crime. But we the, the rabbis did not extend that kind of mercy for blasphemy. Because if you look at Yeshua's life, you see a whole bunch of times when Yeshua was not cussing or angry, he would say things like, Abraham rejoiced to see my day before Abraham was I am, or uh, I am the father one, and the rabbis and the leadership took his blasphemy, and it's very specific. They took up stones to throw at him. So apparently, stoning for blasphemy was still carried on, regardless of whether they didn't uh, kill for other things. And that's what I want to talk about. Um, it was done not just in the Gospel, but Acts. Uh, I want to talk about Acts 6. Everybody knows Stephen, right? Great hero of Acts 6. One of my favorite people, by the way. He was chosen by the congregation, along with six others. The disciples prayed and laid hands on him. He became a very powerful witness. That was in that 13 where it says that. Um, and the leadership was so scared about him. That they sent false witnesses to the priest to accuse him of what? Uh, blasphemy. Which he didn't do. It says it was false witnesses that went to the blasphemy. Uh, so that they have a reason, according to the Torah, to kill him under the law. Uh, but they seem to have missed one because Exodus twenty before it talks about blasphemy. Exodus twenty, which is before today's Leviticus says, Thou shalt not bear false witness. But they did that first. So somebody was guilty of sin, not Stephen. Uh, and this man was anointed. Uh, they made up a lie that he spoke against the holy place. He spoke against the law. That Yeshua was going to destroy the temple. This is Yeshua was going to change the law. They pulled him in front of the Sanhedrin and he said, "Even they says in Acts, Because see, his face was like an angel. Even they see, he ain't lying. He's telling the truth. He's not guilty of sin. Uh, and in Acts seven, this is the part I love. This man's educated. He's in front of the priests and the priests. The Sanhedrin party, excuse me, the Sadducee party, doesn't particularly love any part of the scriptures except the Torah. So, what does he do? He summarizes the entire Torah from Genesis to Mass, if you wanted, the whole thing, right? All five books, followed by, just to make sure that nobody's missed, he quotes also the the Nebion and the Ketuvim. He summarizes the entire Tanakh because he knows the scriptures. And then he's famous for, of course, his closing of his darat, yelling at the leadership, "Which of the prophets have you not persecuted? And if it wasn't bad enough that your fa- your fathers not persecuted, if it wasn't bad enough that your fathers killed the messengers of the Holy One, when all the Russia's sudden you're killing yourself, you're murderers, and you're talking to me about blasphemy. Who's got the problem here?" <coughs> Um, and it says, of course, they went out of their minds. And to really rub it in, before he was killed, before anything happened, he's still in the courtroom, so to speak. And he said he looks up and sees a vision. He is not been hit with a rock. He's not out of his mind. He's not dreaming. He's in his right mind. And he says, I see the Son of Man standing. First of all, the priests would hate that because both priests and rabbis were uncertain about whether Daniel should even be in the scriptures. As today, they don't like the book of Daniel. But more than that, Son of Man means this person, Yeshua had called himself Son of Man, is divine. This is the one that in the clouds of the heavens walks up to the ancient days. So he is affirming, Yeshua is divine, like it or not. And you know what, I can see him, and I get a standing ovation, because I'm telling you the truth. And of course they go crazy, and they drag him out, and they kill him. And God bless him, God bless his memory. He does exactly what Yeshua did, and he says the things that Orthodox Jews say when they die. I spent a lot, I've been around the dead, so we know all these little traditions about the dead. One of them is you say, I put my spirit into your hands, O Lord, or you're allowed to call him Father, and And then he says, Shema. Yeshua did it, Stephen did it. Yeshua said, I forgive them, Father forgive them. Stephen did it too. And of course he became a great martyr. First and greatest of the martyrs in the world. He's one of the first ones outside of the disciples to have his Darash written in the New Testament. Mighty man of God, right? I wanted to just go back for one sentence and go back. What was he ordained for? you got to go look. It says in Acts 6, look love this one. The families of the Judean Jews and the Hellenist Jews are having a fight over whose widows get fed first. When well, we have the young egg and the food giveaway and the family crumbs, whatever, you're feeding your mothers in laws before ours. And they're fighting over food. And the disciples said, we are not going to abandon the Word of God to wait tables. Go find some other guys to do that. And God bless them, they knew. And make sure that they have the Holy Spirit wisdom. Because if you're going to recommend Jews fighting over food, you better not do that. <coughs> so, he was ordained for Onek, he was an minister. Or tables, and we have similar, you know, if you were ordained or anointed here to put ribbons on chairs, to give out plastic forks, to fold tables, whatever, or what do we call it now, the schlepping of the chairs, right? Is that really what you were ordained for? I'll do so. You know what? So Stephen, the great martyr, the great preacher, the one who faced down the entire center between the priest, he was supposed to weigh tables. Don't shortchange God. Whatever they laid hands on you for, whatever you were assigned to do, that ain't it. That's not all it. Don't limit God.